Today's reading is from 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 to 17. The Lord's grace to Paul. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. I will show me, even though once I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I will show mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, Our topic today is I'm not good enough. And actually the secret in the New Testament is that even our good is not good enough. But God is God enough. And uh, our good is not good enough. But God is God enough. And uh, an illustration that I often use on the Alpha course to unpack really the fact that in here is not, not the best sometimes um, is the picture of a, of a video. If I can make a video of your life, okay, every bit of your life, that everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever said, everything you've ever thought of or thought of doing, uh, your attitudes, all of that. And we've now got an app that can edit that video all together to all the juicy bits, okay, all the worst bits of your character. And we can get this video together and we can show it on the big screens next week. Now, I could tell you a couple of things. If your video was up there, if my video was showing next week, two things I'll tell you. Number one, there would be a huge queue outside. Okay? We'd be inviting all friends, families, colleagues, anybody that appears in the video would get an invitation, obviously. And there would be a massive queue outside. This place would be sold out full up. The second thing I'll tell you is that I won't be here. And my guess is, if it was your video, you probably wouldn't be here either. Because very often, most of the time, we're ashamed of actually what is in here uh, in our lives. And all of us have fallen short, not only of our own standards in life, but uh, very much so God's standards that are way, way above that. And uh, the problem with that is it pollutes our lives. It pollutes our ourselves, it pollutes our relationships, it pollutes our world. And it's very easy to see it out there and the problems out there, but actually it begins in here. Now, there are some who argue that they are good enough. Um, they don't think they've done too much wrong. They've, they've not murdered so many people. You know, they've not robbed so many banks yet. Um, things haven't quite got that desperate. But the problem with this thing, this self-centered, independent sinfulness within one of us, in each one of us, is that it affects the whole. So even if you have a little bit. So for example, if, um, here's a nice uh, glass of Highland spring water. It's very tasty. You can enjoy this at your leisure if you're thirsty, and um, you might enjoy that. However, here is also a glass of the most toxic pollution you can imagine. To be honest, this picture doesn't really do it justice, because there's little green eyes floating around in it. There's some horrible fumes coming out the top. There's some disease, uh, waterborne diseases in here. Okay, it's pretty, pretty nasty. Okay, you're not going to touch it. You're certainly not going to put it in your baby's bottle and give it to them to drink. Okay, would you, if you took a drop and put it across to the reasonably clean water, well, it's, it's not too dirty, is it? I mean, it's, most of it's clean. But you wouldn't drink it. 
I know there's a few students here who might do it for 20 quid, but generally <laughs> you wouldn't drink it. Okay, because the th nature of pollution is it affects the whole. And James writes in the New Testament and he says, when it comes to God's law, even if we're guilty of breaking just one bit of it, we're guilty of breaking all of it because that is the effect uh, of pollution in our lives. And Paul's letter to Timothy here is, is this is like Paul's video. This is like Paul's life video as exhibit A in the, in the, in the law courts, if you like, to determine is God God enough in this situation. And Paul is very clear that as far as he's concerned, he is far from good enough. Although he says at the time he was blind to it, he didn't realize it, he was ignorant, um, but he describes himself as the worst of sinners, verse 15, or the chief of sinners in some versions. The word is protos, it means the number one of sinners, top of the list or bottom of the list, depending on how you look at it. And uh, he then describes his life video in verse 13. And this is what he says, um, as was read to us. And the first section of his video is this, I was a blasphemer. Okay, I, I spoke badly about Jesus. I vehemently denied that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was who he claimed to be, that he had the deity, that he was actually God. And not only that, but I forced others to deny it. You know, and uh, I did that with a lot of, a lot of anger. Um, his anger against Jesus was something he couldn't contain. Okay? He was vehemently, violently angry about what Jesus stood for. He was a blasphemer, he says. And then the next part of his video, his video of shame, he says, I was a persecutor. I used my physical power to destroy the church. And when you read back into Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, it talks about Paul breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He says in verse two, he went to the high, with the high priest's authority to hunt down Christians, whether men or women, and put them in prison. Back in the end of chapter seven and beginning of verse uh, chapter eight, he's there when Stephen is being stoned. When Stephen is being killed and martyred, and with these stones hurled at him, Paul is there, Saul as he's known at that point, given approval of his death. Okay, he was as brutal as some of the so-called IS horrors and atrocities that we've seen over the past years. That's what Paul was like. He was a brutal persecutor. And he goes on in his video, if you like, and he says, not only that, but I was a violent man. I used, um, the, the word means to be injurious, to be proud and insolent, to be power crazed and throwing your weight around the neighborhood. Okay, I was a violent man, he says. He would lose it with people, big time. That's what he was like. Um, I can remember a time as a teenager when I lost it with my brother and I literally kicked him in the teeth. I know it's shocking. I, I held back a little bit, but it wasn't pretty. Okay? It's not my proudest moment, I have to say, but there is within us violence. There's anger. There's all sorts of ways that that comes out. And Paul recognizes that he's acted out of ignorance, out of unbelief. And while that doesn't excuse it, somehow it delays God's judgment because God has this unlimited patience, as it says in verse 16. And so the grace of our Lord is poured out, he says on me, abundantly. Verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst or chief of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. He's shown mercy 
and he has God's grace poured out in it, on him. Mercy is, is withholding that punishment, withholding that judgment that we do deserve. And grace is where God gives something, a blessing to us that we don't deserve. So mercy holds back and grace then pours out. And so it says that God's grace is poured out. Okay, imagine it pouring with rain. I know it doesn't take a lot of imagination, but um, just imagine for a moment. But not only that, it is poured out abundantly. Abundantly. And the words um, for abundant there in the Greek, it uses the words hooper, which is where we get hyper from, hypersensitive, hyperactive, over and above. This is, this is not just pouring with rain. This is monsoon season. Okay, and Paul realizes how much he needs this because of his background. How much does he need this in his life? But this grace is even more than just a clean sheet. It's more than just, I forgive you and all of that, but he is transformed. He's, he's now brought into God's service. He's allowed loose with God's name, as it were. He becomes a missionary, becomes a minister of God. He's an example in verse 16 for others about how great God's grace really is, that you get what you really don't deserve. Not just forgiveness, but, but then brought into a place of purpose with God as well. Paul isn't good enough, but God is God enough. And he is this exhibit A in the video evidence of God's mercy and grace. But then there's always this, the flip side, because in the court of law, as it were, Jesus is there defending us. But there's an accuser, okay, there's a prosecution. And in the Bible, there's this character called Satan, which is the Hebrew word for accuser, the one who accuses us, the one who continues to whisper or even shout in our ear, you're really not good enough. You know, you're not really, really not good enough. You don't even deserve this grace of God. Okay, who do you think you are? I know what you're like, and you know what you're like. You don't really deserve any of this, even if it's freely given by God, God's gracious blessings. <clears throat> but God says that his grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. His grace is hyper abundant. Accusation comes in our lives when we place our worth on what other people say about us. It may be your parents at some point. You know, stupid, no good, pathetic. Now I wish you were like your brother. Why can't you be like your sister? Perhaps at its extreme, I wish I never had you. Perhaps a parent walks out on you and you take that as your value. Maybe I am no good, maybe I am of no importance. You know, how many of us wrongly base our value and our worth on what others have said about us? Um, I remember being on a, a secondary school mission and uh, one of the things we were doing was sharing our faith, answering people's questions. Normally, one of my stronger suits um, is what I considered. And I remember a kid saying something to me that completely undermined me. One sentence, and the accuser got hold of it, got under my skin with it, and I was poleaxed for days. And uh, I thought, I really am no use at this. Why am I bothering? And I had to really work on that. And it came on the verse you know, that says that, yes, we're jars of, jars of clay, but there's a treasure within. And hold on to the truth rather than let the accuser get, get his way with me. Okay, how he gets under our skin? He gets under our skin when we put our worth on past experiences. Perhaps we think about our background, um, a difficult upbringing, um, perhaps few opportunities in life, perhaps school didn't work out for you, maybe university didn't work out for you if you got there. 
And we start to believe the lie, I won't amount to very much. I won't get very far. I'm amazed by the story of uh, Laura Trotz from the Olympics. Here is the Team GB's most medaled Olympian, female Olympian, and she was born four weeks premature. Here she is doing this lung-busting Olympic cycling, and she was born four weeks premature with a collapsed lung. She was six weeks in ventilation. Now, she could have grown up as one of those kind of hyper-careful, hyper-sensitive, hyper-health, protective bubble type of kids, or you can grow up as a fighter. Clearly, she took the latter option in her life. Okay? Don't let past experiences limit what we can be and what we can do. Do we base our value on our past experiences and let the accuser in? You won't amount to very much. The accuser also has a field day with our past failures and our past mistakes. You know, so we think, I really did do something stupid. I did something really bad, something I should never have done. I just cannot forgive myself for what I did. Okay, I am no worth to anybody because of that. And people have a deep-seated sense of self-deprecation. And the accuser wants to give you disgrace. God wants to give you grace. God always wants to give us grace. The accuser wants to give you disgrace. He wants you to dwell on the disgrace. He wants the disgrace to be the headline um, in your life. And he will keep reminding you uh, of that. Disgrace tells me I am no good. I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of God's help. The shame that comes with it poisons us. It might be our own shame. It might even be the shame of what someone else has done to us in our life. And so deep down, we, we hate ourselves. We reject ourselves. We refuse to accept God's forgiveness because we refuse to forgive ourselves in all of that. The accuser wants us to dwell on the disgrace, but God wants us to live free in his hyper-abundant grace. Here's, um, oh, that's Laura Trott on her bike. Here's what Mark Batterson writes. We become so fixated on past mistakes that we forfeit future opportunities. We mistakenly think our mistakes disqualify us from being used by God. Have you disqualified yourself from serving God because you think you aren't good enough because of something that you did in your past? Now how many of us base our worth and our value on past experiences and past mistakes? And even the heroes of the faith that we read of in the Bible struggle with this. We read of Moses in the book of Exodus. And Moses was a guy who murdered one of the Egyptians. And then he tried to hide the body. And then he legged it because he just knew this was bad stuff that he had done. And yet God calls him and he says, I want to use you. And he still can't handle it. He says, well, I'm in verse chapter 4. He says, oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to me. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I'm not a good speaker. Please send someone else. Not only does he feel flawed in character, but he feels flawed in even capability. And yet God calls him and God wants him to, to do what he wants him to do. Do not disqualify ourselves because we listen and believe what the accuser says in our lives rather than the God of this hyper abundant grace. Because we're not our own. We were bought at a price, and a great price, and that's where our value comes from. The price and the love that God has for us. Um, the story goes of someone who found uh, uh, on holiday in Paris somewhere, an amber necklace, nice little thing, paid a few pounds for it, 
and thought, it's always worth getting these things valued. Took it to a valuer, and uh, they said, yeah, it's worth a few pounds, yeah, nothing, nothing that special. They weren't completely convinced, so they took it to another valuer, got his magnifying glass out, got all the lights out, looked at it very, very carefully, found an inscription on it, to Josephine from Napoleon. <laughs> that bumped the price up just a little. Okay, the value of the necklace was because of its association with someone famous. And as Christians, we're identified one who is far more important, far more famous, in a sense, far more valuable. And our value comes from him because we have the name of Jesus engraved on our souls as people that follow him in our lives. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus out of this experience that he's had, out of this revelation that he's had, out of this transformation that he's experienced himself. And he highlights three things to them that he wants them to understand. And here's the three things. He says, I want you to recognize your sainthood. I want you to rely on the resources that God has given you. And I want you to rest on the relationship that you have with him. First of all, he writes to the saints in Ephesus. And for many of us, this might be familiar, but it's a helpful, helpful reminder. Because uh, there are arms of the church that use the word saint in a very narrow way. Um, often just in a meant to mean kind of those who are especially holy, those especially holy men and women who have lived extraordinary lives of virtue. And we applaud such people. But Paul uses the word, the New Testament uses the word saint for anyone who follows Jesus, anyone who comes to him. Okay, it applies to everyone who follows this Jesus Christ and lives according to his teaching. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you are a saint. Even if you already knew that, wow. Okay, that is how God sees you. That's how God sees me. That surprises me a lot of the time. But he sees you as a saint. To the saints in Ephesus, he writes. Okay, do you think you're good enough or not good enough? Recognize your sainthood, that you are set apart for God. Secondly, he writes in verse three, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You don't think you have what it takes? Okay, you don't think that you're gonna to amount to much? God has already given you everything that you could possibly need. Everything, every spiritual blessing. Do we believe that? We may know that our good is not good enough, but have we really realized that God is good enough in our lives? And um, you can take his fruits, the fruit of the spirit, the gifts, his words, his promises. And uh, sometimes I do this, sometimes I just take the words that I consider spiritual blessings in the Bible and I write them out and then I just draw a little present around it, like it's wrapped up. And I just take them one at a time and just begin to unwrap them, begin to pray through them, begin to think, actually, this is true. This is a gift. This is a blessing that God has given us. You know, how are we going to appropriate that? How are we going to make this accessible in our lives? Um, and just begin to pray through and unwrap them, as it were, um, as blessings that are given. Every spiritual blessing that we've been blessed with. Are you accessing them? Rest in your relationship Thirdly, in verse four onwards, it says that he chose us. He chose us in him. 
He adopted us as his sons in accordance with his pleasure. Verse 8, the riches of grace that he lavished on us. There's so much love from this God towards us that we're to rest in, to know that we are deeply loved by him. And so your worth is not based on what others say or have said about you. Your worth is not based on your past experiences or on your past uh, things that you think might limit you in life. Okay? Your worth is not based on past mistakes and those horrendous failures in your life. Your, base, your worth is based on what God says and what God sees. And he says this. He says, I chose you. I called you by name. You're mine. And so we belong to him. We're his kids. We're his sons. We're his daughters. He loves us deeply. He loves us, as someone said earlier, continually, eternally, unconditionally. He says, you are a saint. And I have an inexhaustible supply of resource and spiritual blessing available to you. So even our good we know is not good enough. But our God really is God enough. And Paul says, you have to see this. You have to know this. Here's the evidence from my life. His grace is hyperabundant. Let's pray together. Well, I just want to close your eyes and just think for a moment. There may be someone here this morning who, who recognizes, actually, you, you know you're not good enough, but you didn't realize that you could be totally forgiven. You didn't realize that you could be blessed as you come to God with this. You looked at your video this morning and just thought, I really wouldn't want anyone to see that. You recognize the shame of it. You recognize the pollution in there, perhaps the violence in there. You recognize you've fallen short and need God's forgiveness. Just like Paul, you need his hyperabundant grace this morning. And that's a big thing, and yet it's a simple thing. And here's a prayer that you can pray that just begins that journey for you. Even if it's just for one person this morning. But here's the prayer that you can pray. It starts by saying sorry. Just echo this in your own heart. Sorry, Lord, for all the wrong that I've done. Thank you. Thank you that you have died so that I can be forgiven. That you gave your life so that I can be cleansed. I don't believe it, but I find it amazing. But I thank you for that this morning. And please, please come into my life and start to lead me forward as I do. Amen.